Amen. Well, I'd invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 3. Taking a break this morning from our series in Ezra and Nehemiah. To recognize this morning as Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. This is why we're beginning this fundraiser with choices. Tomorrow marks the 45th anniversary of the Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade decision, legalizing abortion in all 50 states. In 1984, President Reagan declared January 22nd as Sanctity of Human Life Day, and ever since then, churches in America have recognized the third Sunday in January as Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And so today we mark this occasion by turning our attention to the sanctity of human life and you know, the, the occasion for this day was a decision about abortion. But there's a reason we don't call this day Anti-Abortion Sunday. Because there's more to the sanctity of life than just being against abortion. We are certainly against abortion. But the reason that we are is because we recognize a greater reality in Scripture, and that is that every single Human life from conception is sacred. We believe in the sanctity of human life. And this is a a broad doctrine that has many implications. It's rooted in the fact that we understand from Scripture that every single human being at every stage of life has been created with dignity because they have been created in the image of God, in the likeness of God. Scripture tells us. And so, to be biblically pro-life is to be more than just against abortion, though it certainly means that. To be biblically pro-life is to be for for human beings who are made in the image of God, for the dignity of human life, and all that that entails. To be pro-life biblically is to stand for the dignity of all human life, at every stage. And in Scripture, we see that this doctrine of the dignity of every human life, the sanctity of every human life, has many implications. One of them is that murder is a sin against God. And there are others. And this morning, we are going to look at one specific implication of this reality that all life, all human life, has dignity. And it's found in James chapter 3. We're specifically going to look at verses 9 and 10, but we'll read verses 1 through 12 of this chapter uh, for the context. So read along with me. James chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect 
man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. As I said, our text this morning, specifically, we're going to look at verses 9 and 10. And I would ask you to glance back at that verse once again. With it, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. There that is, the image of God. And so, this text would lead us to ask this question of ourselves this morning. Is your mouth pro-life? Is your mouth, is my mouth pro-life? Let's consider that question as we examine this text. So the context of all these verses that we just read James is talking about the power of the tongue. In verse 1, he starts out with a warning to anyone who would want to become a teacher. And I confess it is an intimidating verse to read while preaching that not many of you should become teachers because we're going to be judged with greater strictness. It's intimidating. Because the tongue is so powerful, anyone who would consider a ministry of the tongue, a speaking ministry, should think twice. That's how powerful the tongue is. Then, in the next few verses, in verses 2 to 5, James talks about how the tongue is small, but it has a great impact. Just like a small bit can guide a large horse, so a, a small rudder can turn a massive ship. So, just like a small spark can start a huge fire, So, 
The tongue is small, but it has a great impact. In the next few verses, in verses 6 to 8, James talks about how the tongue is destructive. It is as devastating as a forest fire. It is harder to domesticate than any animal on earth, and it is lethal as poison. And then when we come to our text, in verses 9 to 12, James highlights the hypocrisy of those who would, on the one hand, use their tongue to bless God, yet on the other hand, use it to curse people made in His image. Just as it is unnatural for a spring to pour forth both fresh and salt water, just as it is unnatural for a fig tree to bear olives or a grapevine to produce figs or a salt pond to yield fresh water, it is just as unnatural for the same mouth to both bless God and curse people made in His image. So let's zoom in on verses 9 and 10. As we look at this text, even as we read it, you may have heard these words and thought to yourself, curse? I mean, I don't, I don't curse anyone. I mean, good grief. And I confess, that's what, that's what I thought when I first read this text. I mean, like, really? Like, am I cursing people? But, but I would ask you, if that's your thought, to, to draw your attention away from, from that word and consider another word that's in this text. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. With it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. We. Let's not just think about this in terms of of people out there, those people, but in terms of we. Another word I would bring to your attention is in verse 10. James says, my brothers, we could extend that, my brothers and sisters, These things ought not to be so. James is addressing believers. This is us. And so we need to consider, in light of James 3, 9 and 10, how is this us? How do we discredit our praise of God with other words that come out of our mouths? Well, the key to understanding what kind of bad speech James is talking about here is this phrase, the likeness of God. That's how he defines what sort of bad speech discredits our praise of God. This phrase, the likeness of God, indicates to us that there there is a way that we use our mouths that denies the dignity of human life. We can use our mouths in such a way to speak about other people that we actually reject the dignity of their life created in the image of God. Turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 1. This phrase, the likeness of God, is a reference to the very first chapter of the Bible where we see God creating all things and specifically where we see him creating man. Genesis 
Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We see, as God is creating man, he creates him with dignity, rooted in the fact that he is created, man is created in God's image. Just as God, as the eternal one, the creator, has intrinsic dignity and is exalted over all creation, so man, created in the image of God, though he is a created thing, because he uniquely is made in the likeness of God, he has dignity and is to have dominion over all other created things. God has intrinsic dignity and he made man with intrinsic dignity. And it's important that we see that human beings, that we, our dignity is rooted in the fact of whose image we are made in. It's not independent of God. It's because God made us in his image that we have dignity. And so to offend that dignity, to reject that dignity, or deny that dignity is not just to deny man's dignity, but it is to make a statement about God himself. So when we consider back to James chapter 3, our text this morning, how we use our words, we're dealing here with high stakes. It's not just a matter of saying things that are improper, or, or talk in a way we shouldn't. It, it, it's a matter of whether or not we are truly pro-life with our mouths. And we should consider, and I think this helps, under, helps us uh, explain why this sort of cursing is incompatible with blessing. Because to speak against a human being created in the image of God discredits that praise of God, because with our mouths, when we speak against someone made in the image of God, we are making a statement about how we think about God himself, even in doing that. These are high stakes we talk about when we think about how we use our mouths to talk about other people. Stakes get even higher, though, when we remember how Jesus spoke about words. Turn with me to Luke 6. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 43. 
Jesus says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. This is kind of sounding like James 3, isn't it? Then listen to Luke 6.45. Jesus says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For, and here's the key, out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Jesus tells us here, that our words reflect our hearts. And so, again, when we consider James chapter 3, when we ask, is my mouth pro-life? What we're really asking is, is my heart pro-life? Stakes are very high. And if we turn back to James, this understanding of the value of human life rooted in the image of God, this understanding of the power of our words and how they're rooted in our hearts, I think helps us make sense of what James says in chapter 1, verse 26. James says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. We may think that we're religious because with our mouths we bless our Lord and Father, James 3.9. But if we cannot control our tongue, we're deceiving ourselves. We're deceiving our hearts. We're discrediting our witness. We're discrediting our religion, James says. These are high stakes. In light of James chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, I think we should ask ourselves honestly before God, what ways, what are the ways in which our words come short of affirming the full dignity of human life? And notice that wording, the ways our words come short of affirming the full dignity dignity of human life. Because the question is not just, am I insulting people? Although certainly to insult people who are made in the image of God is to reject their dignity. It's an affront to their dignity as human beings created in the image of God. But it's not just, am I insulting people? The standard is the likeness of God. The standard is, are we affirming the full dignity of human life with our words because there's a way that we can use our words that isn't outright insulting but it comes short of affirming the full dignity of human life as an example you know this morning we talked about because it's sanctity of human life sunday one of the things we're doing is giving to uh, choices uh, life resource center well we can see this coming short of affirming the full dignity of human life in those who advocate for abortion. Rather than call a child a human being, a child, they would maybe use the word fetus. Well, it's not a derogatory term, but it, it just comes short of affirming the full 
dignity of human life, and it becomes easier to talk about abortion then. Or they may call it a, a cluster of cells. may not say it's killing a child, it's terminating a pregnancy. Do you see how these words can come short of affirming the full dignity of human life? But I said before, this isn't just those people out there. This is, this is us. How, how do our words come short of affirming the dignity of human life? And I'll warn you, as I've been meditating on this passage, uh, this is going to sting a little bit. How do we talk about children? When we think about having children, do we think about children in terms of being an obstacle to our flourishing? Or the children that God's already given, are, are they, do we talk about them as if they're a burden? Or how about this? Men, young and not young, consider this with me. How, how do you, with your words, talk about women? Or maybe we could extend the question, what words about women do you tolerate around you? What sort of locker room talk do you engage in or allow? And not just, not just that. Men and women alike, do we talk about each other as if one is a superior gender and one is an inferior gender? To use the words of James, these things ought not to be so. We ought to use our words to affirm the full value and dignity of every human life. What about people different from you? How do you talk about people different from you? How do you talk about people of other races? Now, I, I can almost hear the knee-jerk reaction is usually, well, I'm not a racist. Okay. But I'm not asking if you're using racial slurs. I'm asking, like this is, this is maybe the best way to consider this. When I talk about people of other races, do I talk about them with the same dignity with which I talk about my own race. You see how this can be a subtle thing? How do you talk about people of, of other religions? When you talk about them, do you talk about them as if they have full human dignity rooted in the image of God? How do you talk about people from other countries? How do you talk about immigrants? Do you talk about them as if they are human beings with intrinsic dignity created in the image of God? What about those in the LGBT community? Now, we as people who affirm what Scripture teaches call sin, sin. We affirm what the Bible teaches about gender and sexuality. But I'm afraid that often, while calling sin, sin, we have a tendency to, as, as people who, who affirm what the Bible teaches there, forget what the Bible teaches about the image of God and talk about people who sin this way 
as if they're less than dignified. Not quite with the dignity that we would talk about people like us. And it's really important that we see here that this is not about being politically correct. It's really important that we, we understand that because being politically correct is about choosing the right vocabulary so that we don't hurt other people's feelings. But what James is talking about here is using our mouths to affirm human dignity created in the image of God. It's not a PC issue. It's a Bible issue. And it's not, just as we saw with Jesus' words in chapter 6 of Luke, it's not a vocabulary issue. It's a heart issue. What do we believe? What do we affirm about human beings and thus God with what we say? Consider also our public voice on social media. Your friends and followers, do they hear coming out of your public mouth, both blessing and cursing? Do you discredit what you say in praise of God with how you speak about people made in the likeness of God? Or how about in private, just, you know, with kind of a a whisper, how do you talk about other people? For me, you know, we've been talking in Ezra about not just studying the Word and then teaching it, but study it and do it and teach it. And as I have been laying my heart before this text and asking the Lord, how, how do I sin in this area? I think my tendency is, is this. When someone sins against me or, or just when someone sometimes sins in general, I have a tendency to start talking about them not in terms of their full three-dimensional dignity as a human being, but I, I tend to flatten them and talk about them and identify them just by their sin. See, it's, it's subtle, but that's, it's a subtle way of not acknowledging their full dignity, but just decreasing them to just their sin. I'll give an illustration that I think sums up a lot of these things that I've been talking about. A couple weeks ago, Our president reportedly made a comment about people from African countries and Haiti and El Salvador, a term that was profane and derogatory. And as I heard about this, I'm I'm sure as many of you were, I I was outraged, I was appalled. Here we had on display an example of James chapter 3, verse 9, speaking in a way, cursing people made in the likeness of God. So I was upset. I acknowledged that this is wrong. But here's what happened, and it noticed the deceptiveness of sin. As I started acknowledging that this was wrong, and it was, in my heart, I was tempted to start thinking about our president not as a three-dimensional fully dignified human being, but just as a racist. And in defining someone that way and thinking about someone in that way, that denies his full dignity as an image bearer of God, as a redeemable human being. Do you see the deceptiveness of sin? 
even as I was acknowledging that he was sinning by cursing people in the likeness of God, I was tempted to diminish his dignity as an image bearer. And my point in saying all this is that we have all sinned. We have all sinned in this way. Just as James said in verse 2 of chapter 3, we all stumble in many ways. We all sin in this way. And the crazy thing is, is when we sin in this way, when we deny the dignity of others created in the, human, in the uh, image of God, we distort the image of God in ourselves. As image bearers, we are to be godly. And to live in a way that is not godly is to distort in ourselves the image of God and to make a statement to others watching, a false statement about who God is and who God is supposed to be. And it gets worse. James, in chapter 3, verse 8, says that no human being can tame the tongue. So where do we go from here? To the cross. Consider with me the power of the gospel. The power of the cross that we have been singing about thinking about, reading about all morning long in light of what we've just seen in James chapter 3. We have sinned against God by sinning against those made in His image. And for that, we are guilty and we deserve punishment. We have sinned against neighbor and have so defiled ourselves and we deserve to be separated from God. We have distorted the image of God in ourselves. We've brought shame upon ourselves. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ, who as God has utmost dignity, utmost worth, he laid aside his divine dignity and worth and took on the form of human flesh. And further than that, he became an obedient servant to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus, the eternal God, took on flesh and died in the least dignified way imaginable for you. So that those of us who should be punished in that way, who should be separated from God, could trust in Jesus and receive his perfect record of righteousness. If we trust in him, we can have forgiveness. The gospel is good news for hypocrites like us. Because if we trust in Jesus, first we can have forgiveness of sin. Though we are guilty, though we deserve punishment, we can be forgiven of our sins against God and against neighbor. But the gospel is good for more than just that. The gospel is also good, not only because Jesus forgives, but also because Jesus transforms. In 2 Corinthians 5.11, Paul describes those in Christ as a new creation. We read in Ephesians chapter 2 earlier that those who are in Christ were dead, but they have been made alive in Christ Jesus. Paul says in Romans 6 that those who are in Christ are dead to sin and alive to God. And Paul says in Colossians 3 that if we are in Christ, we have put off the old man, the sinful man, and we have put on 
the new man, which is being renewed after the image of its creator. And so when we see in James 3, verse 10, James say, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Why ought these things not to be so? Because in Christ, brothers and sisters, that's not who you are anymore. It is not who you are in Christ. That's why these things shouldn't be so. See, hypocrisy for the Christian, hypocrisy for those in Christ, is not, oh, you you say you bless God, but really, you're just a sinner. No, hypocrisy for the Christian, for those who are in Christ, is acting as if we still had our old self, when in reality, Jesus Christ has made us new. Jesus Christ has transformed us. Jesus Christ has given us a new heart, a new person. And so, when we say these things ought not to be so, the reason is, this is an invitation to be who you are in Christ. To use your transformed heart, your transformed tongue to glorify God. So, in light of the power of the gospel to forgive in light of the power of the gospel to transform, let's end by considering how can we use our transformed tongues to affirm and celebrate the dignity of every human life? How can we use our transformed tongues not to be a hypocrite like James talks about in James 3, 9, and 10, but to be consistent? How can we talk about others in a way that is consistent with our praise of God and the transformed mouths that he has given us as Christians. Well, as those with renewed mouths, we of all people should be the loudest voice advocating for the dignity of every human life at every stage of life. Proverbs 31, 8-9 says this, Open your mouth for the mute. For the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. As those with renewed mouths, we ought to be the voice for human dignity. Don't let a political party or a social movement be a louder voice for human dignity than the church of Jesus Christ who affirms that this word is inerrant and this word says that every single human being is created in the image of God. As those who believe that, as those who affirm that, we ought to be the loudest voice for human dignity. We ought to be the loudest voice defending the dignity of the unborn. This is why we give to someone like choices. This is why we stand up for the dignity of life from conception because we are the ones who affirm the image of God in all people. We ought to be the voice for the dignity of the unborn. Don't let the right wing own this. Let the church own this. Let us who are in Christ be the loudest voice for their dignity. May we be the loudest voice for the dignity of the disabled. No matter how the fall affects us, every human being is created with intrinsic dignity because every human being is made in the image of God.
We ought to be the loudest voice for the dignity of those who are at the end of life. Just because someone is near the end of life does not mean that they have lost an ounce of the dignity that they have been given by God as an image bearer. We ought to be, as I'm thinking of, of the men as we talked about before, we ought to be the loudest voice, Christian men, for the dignity of women created in the image of God with intrinsic worth. Don't let a feminist movement being the loudest voice for the dignity of women. We who have been transformed by Christ ought to be the loudest voice for the dignity and worth of women. We ought to be the loudest voice defending the dignity of people of all religions. Yes, we affirm that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But we also affirm that God created all people in his image, and therefore we should treat all people, speak about all people with dignity and worth, even as we share the gospel with them, the only way by which they can be saved. We ought to be the loudest voice for the dignity of people from all countries, from all countries. We ought to be the loudest voice for the dignity of immigrants. No matter what our politics might, may be, good Bible-believing Christian people can disagree about immigration policy, but no Christian should disagree that every single human being is created with intrinsic dignity and worth because every human being is created in the image of God. And just as we talked about before, those in the LGBT community, yes, we need to affirm what the Bible says about sin. Yes, we need to affirm what the Bible says about gender and sexuality. But if we're going to affirm that part of the Bible, we also need to affirm the part of the Bible that says that no matter how the fall affects you, no matter what your sin may be, every human being has intrinsic worth and value. And we need to talk about all people like they have value created in the likeness of God. James himself, in chapter 1, gives us some practical tips about how we can use our mouths to honor God as those who have been given renewed mouths and just quickly list them. James, in chapter 1, verse 19, says this. Know this, my beloved brothers, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Quick to hear. You know, when we listen to other people's stories, when we listen to the voices of other people, it grows in us empathy. Be quick to hear. Be slow to speak. When we're slow to speak, to speak, it gives us time to remember who you are, someone transformed, someone who's been given a renewed mouth. And when we're slow to speak, it also gives us time to remember who they are, whether it's a person that we're talking to, 
whether it's the person we're talking about. When we're slow to speak, it gives us time to pause and remember who we are in Christ and who they are as an image bearer of God. And then lastly, James says, be slow to anger. Ultimately, God is judge, and James goes on to say that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, we ought to be slow to anger. As those who call themselves, as those who call ourselves pro-life, may we affirm all that the Bible teaches about the dignity of every human life created in the image of God. And may the prayer of our heart be Psalm 19, 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray together. Father, those of us who have trusted in Christ stand here, sit here in Christ, made new, new creations. And so, Lord, as we consider your word from James 3, when we consider blessing and cursing coming out of our mouths, Lord, we acknowledge that these things should not be. And Lord, we would ask that you would forgive us for our sins. Lord, we acknowledge that in Christ you transform our hearts and transform our mouths even. And so, Lord, we would ask for grace that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. God, you are the creator who has given every single human being on earth intrinsic dignity made in your image. And so, Lord, may our mouths bless you and may our mouths affirm, celebrate the dignity of every human life created in your image. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.